Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, big treat for us. My colleague and partner that covers the Bucks, Joey Knight, joins us today. And Joey, you were at the OTAs. I was not. Um, this is always a, uh, a big day, first day of uh, organized team activities. Voluntary, I guess that word was underlined a few times. No Tom Brady, not a surprise. Uh, Tom Brady was pretty adamant last year on a conference call with the uh, Players Associations that he didn't think these things are necessary. And even though he surprised us by coming to phase two, he was not at this. So I thought it was surprising, Joey, that there were that many number of veterans there. I mean, we can list the guys that weren't that were prominent, and they they had various reasons, I'm sure. Um, but overall, this was this was well attended, you know, um, compared to last year with uh, Bruce Arians, who told most of them not to come. Yeah, uh, we missed you out there, Rick, and I'm sure you missed us. But uh, oh, yeah. I, I was, um, you know, if I'm a Bucks fan, I was pleasantly surprised by the turnout, especially as you alluded to just last year, Tom Brady, you know, going to the the players union and publicly urging his peers, you know, to kind of boycott the these off season these off season things, you know, and modify the off season work rules. And I remember you guys doing a whole podcast on it on this, you know, this is the only league in in major pro sports where where players are asked to come in their off season and and work out voluntary or not. Yeah. So we're only a year removed from that. And mm-hmm. lo and behold, uh, the first day of 2022 organized team activities, th- there were over 70 guys out there. Now I didn't, wow. I didn't keep an accurate count, but every guy I saw on my roster, I checked them off and I checked off more than 70 names, Rick. And yeah, yeah I, I was, I was surprised by the number of veterans out there. Uh, not only Vita Vea, but, on the offensive line, Tristan Wirfs was out there. His ankle looks fine. It was unencumbered by by a brace and not even any athletic tape on it. Uh, mm. Ryan Jensen, Pro Bowl center, was out there. You saw Cameron Brait, uh, the tight end. You saw uh, Jamel Dean and Sean Murphy Bunning, the corners, Antoine Winfield, the safety. Uh, you, you know, the only guys that were, were not out there, you know, Brady – as you alluded to, he, he showed up surprisingly during the phase two workouts, but we all know he's working out somewhere, somehow. Lenny was not out there. The linebackers, Levante David, he's still dealing with that Liz Frank injury, so we didn't really expect to see him out there. No Shaquille Barrett, no Devin White, no Mike Evans, but I think, Rick, his wife may be expecting. Uh, yeah. I'm not mm-hmm. sure on that, but I think his wife's expecting a baby any day now. We did see Chris Godwin out there. He's obviously not participating, so he was on campus, presumably just rehabbing his knee, but he made a sighting. So more than 70 guys for day one of the OTAs, and again, I think if I'm a Bucks fan, I'm pleasantly surprised by that kind of turnout. And I'm wondering, and, and this, this may or may not have something to do with it, right? But in as much as Todd Bowles has been with Bruce Arians and out there, and certainly most guys know him or encounter him, um, particularly on the defensive side. 
it's a new coach. It's it's a new head coach, and and there maybe it's as simple as there's something about wanting to show good faith uh, for a guy that's taken over your program, uh, or and or his communication with them has been such that he encouraged them uh, more so than Arians, who who literally said last year that you know, I told some of the frontline guys to stay away, but. I don't think it's a coincidence that Bowles is the coach and there's a bigger attendance this year. No, I, I don't either. And um, I think that's a big reason Brady may have showed up for phase two and just done some yeah. throwing on campus just kind mm-hmm. of as a gesture of, hey, uh, I'm I'm in Todd Bowles' corner. You know, I'm I'm here to support this this new regime. And I, I think that kind of spilled over to what we saw uh, yesterday. And in some cases, and I wrote about this uh, in in – Tuesday's Tampa Bay uh, and Wednesday's, I'm sorry, Tampa Bay Times and TampaBay.com. Vita Vea, in his case, you know, you you look at that defensive front undergoing a little bit of a transition. Presumably, they're not going to um, they're not going to re-sign Damakong Su, who's 35 years old. They've obviously moved on from Steve McClendon, who's 36. So all of a sudden, Vita Vea is kind of the elder statesman in that defensive line room. He's He's 27. He's not the oldest guy chronologically in that room, but he's he's a fifth-year veteran. He's a pro bowler. He's he's clearly the cornerstone of that unit. And, you know, he told us. He was out there. He said basically, and I'll quote him exactly, he said, we've got a real young group. We've got a couple of young guys that we've got to get together on the field and off the field to kind of get that camaraderie going. So I think that's a, that's a gesture of leadership on Vita's part, just showing, hey, uh, I am kind of one of the elder statesmen of this defensive front. It's important for me to be out here to kind of show these young guys, including Logan Hall, the, the second-round draft choice, how we get things done around here and sh- just try to tr- try to build some some chemistry and camaraderie in this group. So, uh, if if again, if I'm a Bucks fan, I, I think I'm mostly encouraged just by the presence of Vita Vea uh, you know, a lot of veterans were out there, but I think that was really significant to see him out there just kind of taking a leadership role. I don't know. I didn't read all the names, but was Will Golston and or Raheem Nunez Roches there? Yes, yes. The, those guys were out there. Yeah. Uh, Golston, Nacho. Um, you know, I, I was very surprised to see, you know, the secondary turnout. Again, yeah. Winfield was out there. Jamel Dean. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carlton Davis, I think, was the only secondary veteran who was not out there. You know, the two the two newcomers, the veterans, Keanu Neal, Logan Ryan, and, and you would expect them to be out there sure, just, just sure. to get the reps and immerse themselves in the in the playbook and, and, and the scheme. But um, yeah, I I was go I went out there, Rick, not really expecting a whole lot, just based on last year and how that transpired with Brady and how outspoken he was. But mm-hmm. I mean, it looked like. Just, just visually, just the eye test. It looked like you know a, a training camp workout. You know, more than seventy guys. Yeah, I think the headline should have been uh, Bucks uh, sort of, um, you know, discount Brady's advice and show up anyway. That probably should have been it. <laughs> should have been it. Clearly, he's I, losing I miss his. Miss my call yeah, there. Yeah, he's losing his his grip on the team. You know, Vita Vea. Um, it's interesting, and I don't. I would agree with you. I don't know how much more this guy can do, but I think there's more there. Uh, and it's going to be interesting if he embraces this leadership thing. Look, he's never played without Indomitian Sue for very long, right? I mean, Sue has been a fixture on this team now for three years. Um, they won a Super Bowl together. 
that is not an insignificant guy to play next to. I mean, this is a guy who never missed a game in his career. Um, you know, and, and clearly when you have two big fellows like that inside, uh, somebody's going to get a one-on-one. Most of the time it was Sue. But, you know, Vea obviously benefited from playing alongside a, a guy that has as much experience in Pro Bowls as he did. But now, now you, you, you know, Vita Vea is, is sort of the old hat. I mean, there's obviously guys like Golston and others that have been in the league longer. But he's got a young guy in Logan Hall. And I, I think as much as anything, he knew what it was like to come in here as a rookie with veteran players around him and, and, and sort of what that process was. And Logan Hall is his, you know, when you're going to call him Batman and Robin, I mean, th- those two guys are going to be on the field probably as much as any two inside next year, providing they stay healthy. I think it's it's interesting to see Via, Vita Vea in this role because this you know him. He's I know he's a different guy than what we see on the podium. He's still kind of uncomfortable. In fact, I think he made mention of that, that he's not used to standing up in front of the media uh, and talking about himself or the team. So that's that's part of it too, right, is that he's got to come out of it, out of his comfort zone a little bit here. Yeah, and, and he mentioned that. You know, he said, I've always been kind of a, a little bit of a cut up, I guess, in the, in the locker room. I guess I got to cut back on that a little bit. Um, and, and not only for the leadership, but you just mentioned it. He, he's not going to be complimented by Damakon Sue, who's a potential Hall of Famer. Yeah. So maybe that's another reason he's out there. I mean, Vita's coming off, you know, just an astounding year. You know, four sacks, five tackles for loss, 12 quarterback hits. Three pass deflections, for gosh sakes. Those, those all tied or established his career highs. And mm. now you presume his snap count's going to go up a little bit in 2022. I mean, they've, they've always had a really good rotation on that defensive front. But, but you got to think Vita's snap count's going to go up. He's not going to have one of his anchors there alongside of him. So, you know, he... Maybe you think, okay, I, I, I've got to turn it up a notch. I've got to be the cornerstone. I've got to work a little harder. I've got to put in some OTA work because the onus is on me this year. You know, there, there's still some complimentary pieces, and they're very good. And who knows how good Logan Hall can be and how they'll use Joe Tryon Shoyinka up front from time to time. But he knows the onus is on him. So in addition just to, to being that leader and stepping out of his shell and asserting himself that way he knows he's he's got to turn it up a notch as good as he's been it, it you know he's going to be he's going to be the target this year in terms of the defensive front yeah and and let's just before we move too past uh, past him too far let's talk about tom brady just for a second and todd bowles which i think is an interesting dynamic um you know, there's there. Of course, there was all the sort of reports about you know the fractured relationship or the relationship souring, and that really got uh, Bruce Arians upset. Uh, I've written about how I think Bowles, in many ways, because he comes really as as much as anything from the Bill Parcells tree. I know he's been with Arians even as a player, um, but you know went to Dallas to Parcells, learned the three four, brought him to Miami under Tony Sperano, all of that more more hands on because he's still calling the defense, whereas Arians was not calling the offense um he's going to be in in some of those meeting rooms and and maybe that's why brady showed up you know phase two is is not competing you're not you're just kind of throwing to your guys right there's no defense it's just sort of um what he would do at say berkeley prep or something like that so that's a little bit different but but Bowles is constantly asked about his relationship with brady and 
and he got a, he gets a little he's getting a little prickly about it after a while. It's like, well, you know, what did Tom say, and why didn't he come to OTAs, or yeah. you know, what was his demeanor when you guys were asking him about about Brady and 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 himself in that relationship? Uh, it, it was it was it was very funny because you know obviously that came up that subject came up and it came up very early in the press conference and he was asked and I'm paraphrasing the question you know how often are are you communicating with Tom and mm-hmm. he says you know we're, we're in frequent contact you know we're in lockstep with Tom and the offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich and quarterbacks coach Clyde Christensen we're all in communication but. You know, I, I'm not going to tell you guys how often I date my girlfriend, you know, and that elicited some some laughter. And, and Jenna Lane from ESPN, bless her heart, came right back and said, did you just compare Tom Brady to your girlfriend? And and, and Tom goes, I was just joking, Jenna. And, you know, he kind of raised his voice an octave or two. We know we know he was he meant it in jest. But, you know, this is this is mid-May. And you can tell a little bit that, you know, all the questions about his relationship with Brady are already getting to him a little bit. Again, he kind of he kind of joked it off yesterday. But if this persists into into July and August, you know, as I'm sure it will, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how how Bowles reacts to it. You know, I, I think it's much ado about nothing. I think he and Tom are fine just for the reasons you just laid out. I, I think yeah. they're on the same page in a lot of ways in terms of what they want to do offensively, even though Bowles is a defensive coach. And sure, he'll right. pop his head in that offensive room. I think any any defensive head coach worth his salt would. I mean, you've got mm-hmm. a great perspective. You can tell those offenses, hey, these yeah. are the things that give defenses problems. These are the things that have given my defenses problems in the past. So why wouldn't you be in that room from time to time to interject? But, you know, I, I think they're fine. I think it's going to be a, a really good relationship. I personally, I think it's going to be a prosperous relationship. But yeah, the, the questions continue coming about the Bowles Brady dynamic and relationship. And already, uh, already Todd's getting, getting a little uh, weary of them. Well, I, listen, it, this is uh, maybe um, speculation on my part, and we've written about it a little bit, but I think the reality is, and Bowles has said this himself, that he and Brady see the game similarly, that they see yes. it the same way. Um, it's undeniable that, you know, when Tom got here, he tried, he's a people pleaser, he tried and did learn the, all the terminology, the whole offense, which we know is it w- with Bruce Arians, no risk it, no biscuit. Um, five verticals, you know, uh, they're going to take seven and five step drops. And, and he threw the ball some 719 times. He led the NFL in, in, in pass attempts last year. Right. I don't think Brady is interested in doing that again. I really Not don't. At all. And, I, and I don't think that Todd Bowles wants him to. And furthermore, and I know that, that Bowles is sensitive about this too. He goes, look, we're not changing the offense. You know what you're doing? You're not changing it as much as you're making sure that it's exactly what Tom Brady wants in every facet. And I think they, they, they agree that they need to emphasize running the football, that they need to protect their defense at times. Because you remember last year they had a lot of injuries in the secondary. Going three and out does not do that, quite, quite frankly. And, and you have to be committed to running it. I think the short passing game is going to be a bigger factor, uh, you know, especially with some of the players that they've added. And I, I know he's, he's sort of like – defensive and I don't mean that in in terms of his side of the ball but like 
look at it. There, there's a reason why Tom. I think Tom Brady is is the offensive coordinator. I love Byron Leftwich, and I know he gets annoyed because there was always this narrative that well, it's you know it's Bruce Arians' offense. But and Bruce has said it many times. Like they let Byron do it all, and they do. Clyde Christensen is not game planning. Um, you know, uh, you know Harold Goodwin is not game planning in as much as he he has some run game responsibilities and. Uh, you know, in doing some of the scripts and things like that. But at the end of the day, this is Tom Brady and Byron Leftwich in a room together. And and what has happened is it's evolved every single game, game to game, year to year. And I think this year, a couple things. You're going to see them. It's going to look like it's going to look like a Brady offense. Bowles is sort of sensitive to that already. He's like, look, I'm not changing the offense. But in a sense, you are because. I think Brady has more rope now without Bruce Arians. And I'm not saying Bruce Arians, you know, edited or redlined and all that nonsense that, that happened last year. But I think, it, I think they see the game the same way, and that is let's do what – I mean, everybody wants to do what they have to do to win, right? But let's do it and, and, and protect the whole, both sides of the ball uh, rather than, you know, uh, go out there and just say we're going we're gonna to throw it 45 times a game. Yeah, n- no doubt. I, I think it. I I think Bowles is interested in making the offense conducive to what works best for Tom Brady at this juncture of his career. I right. think that's how the offense is going to evolve. And if that means running thirty times a game with, with Lenny, I, I think I think Tom Brady would be fine with that at age forty-five. He doesn't want to wing it that much, no, you know, no, at, no. at age forty-five. And, you know, you you laid out all those points, Rick. I, I just think it's – I think Tom, Todd is going to allow it to be Tom's offense. That's, that's yeah. how it's going to, to evolve. And, right. you know, I go back to last year in Washington. Tom Brady drops back the second or third time you know, trying mm-hmm. to wing it downfield and he gets plastered. And Destroyed. I think he said into mm-hmm. his, and we talked about this. I think he just said to himself, screw it. I'm not going to do this the whole game. And he That's just starts right. dumping it off to Lenny. And, um, you know, they lost that game, but he changed his whole game plan because yep. he said, I'm 44 years old. I'm not going to take this. I can't take it. And he just, mm-hmm. he just modified the game plan right there on the spot. I think yep. we could see that at the outset of some games, you know, middle of yeah. the year, ninth or 10th game in, you know, maybe Tom's arm is hurting him a little bit. Maybe it's a little sore. Maybe he takes a vet day here or there, and they see a defense to where it's more conducive to to throwing it out to to tiny slot receivers. You know, like this uh, like this young guy from Western Kentucky that they just uh, that they just yeah. picked up, or you know, maybe a Russell Gage, or just mm-hmm. dropping it off to Lenny or Giovanni Bernard or Rashad White. And, and, and playing that way, I mean, Tom had a lot of success with that in New England with a myriad different kind of targets and, and guys out of the backfield. And I think that's how it's going to, to evolve. And, and I agree with you. This is, this is Tom's offense, and Todd is interested in molding the offense, you know, to make it as mostly conducive to, to Tom Brady as he possibly can at this stage of his career. I agree, and I don't know how much you saw Rashad Rashad White. Um, I watched him in the rookie camp, which is difficult because they don't really have the quarterbacks that are you know very adept at, 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 at you know running the offense. But White is a is, is a guy I think that could take over that spot. I know they got Giovanni Bernard back. He's a little older, thirty one years old. He was hurt a lot last year, 
and certainly he has the experience doing it. If if Rashad White can block, if he knows who to block and is a willing blocker, and Tom can trust him in that aspect, this kid's going to catch a lot of passes. He is he is long. He's going to win routes. He's going to have that that uh, catch radius that they don't have at the receiver position. And even though they threw the ball a lot to Leonard Fournette, I think they kind of did that um, because they didn't have any other better options. I mean, not not Fournette has caught a lot of passes, but he's not necessarily a guy you're going to split out wide and run an option route with. You know, right. and and him and Tom can play some street ball together, and they did that. But this white kid, just in watching him in the rookie camp, was outstanding. So I, I really think they're going to make use of him. Speaking of quarterbacks, and I guess he wasn't made available or wasn't available or whatever. You can speak to that. But I do think it's probably in everyone's best interest that Brady is not at OTAs right now. And why? Because they want to give Kyle Trask a lot of reps. And, you know, I, listen, Clyde Christensen came out, bless his heart, uh, you know, he took some sodium pentothal and told us the truth, which is that, <laughs> you know, which is that Blaine Gabbert's the number two. And yeah. we can all sit up here and pretend like it's a competition. But at the end of the day, you know, the GOAT gets to pick his back up. Uh, Blaine Gabbert has far more experience and success than Kyle Trask, who has not played a single down, not even worn a helmet on Sunday, much less played in the game. And so, you know, tryouts are sort of over. Having said all that, I think they they want to use all this time. They want to use the preseason and, and try to get as many reps for Kyle Trask because, quite frankly, Joey, they don't know what they have and may not know what they have by the time this year is over either in Kyle Trask. Absolutely. And that's what we saw. True to Clyde Christensen's word yesterday, we saw Blaine Gabbert and Kyle Trask taking the snaps in 11-on-11 work. Ryan Griffin was out there. He was in a ball cap. I don't know if he was hurt or just observing or what, but it it was Gabbert and Trask yesterday, which is exactly what Trask needed. Now, it's, it's, you can't ascertain anything from one, one 11-on-11 session with guys in, in shorts and helmets. You know, right. he, he Kyle made some good throws. He had a couple of passes tipped. One of them was picked off. Um, you know, I would rather take Cam Brate's word for it. He, he said he thought he thought Kyle did great yesterday. He was working with a whole new group of receivers, kind of different personnel groupings along the offensive line. So it's tough getting all those guys on the same page. And he thought he thought Kyle just kind of maneuvered that and navigated that very well. And, you know, it still looks like, you know, based on observation that he still throws a very nice ball. I always thought he did. And he looked crisp at times and not so crisp at times. What I'm looking forward to, and he was not made available to, to reporters yesterday, but I am, I'm looking forward to hearing what Kyle Trask has to say about most likely having another redshirt year. Now, yeah. his backstory has been well chronicled. He is, he is redshirted. At every level, he never started a game after his freshman year of high school because he was playing behind a guy in, in his Texas high school named Derek King. And then he goes to the University of Florida and has to wait his turn three to four years before um, before Felipe Franks gets hurt and he gets inserted and seizes that opportunity. So there was the redshirt year at the University of Florida. And, of course, he gets to the NFL, and he never suits up for a game last season. It's, it's quite literally a redshirt year. And now, as patient as he's been through his life, I'm really interested to know what he thinks about an, a second consecutive season of potentially not playing. And the NFL clock is ticking, and it ticks a lot faster than at other levels of play. 
and I know what he'll say. Um, Kyle's a class guy. He'll toe the company line and he'll probably say, I think it's, it's great. It's in my best interest to watch and learn from the greatest of all time and just digest this offense and master it. You know, I think he'll say those type of things, but his NFL window is, is closing. All NFL windows are constantly closing when you're a player in this league and the clock is ticking. And now we're into year two of his career. And there's the, the very real chance that he may not see any, any viable game action. I'm interested in seeing, you know, how he feels about that, because uh, I, I think that's the reality. I think Clyde Christensen nailed it. I think he was very candid. You know, Todd Bowles kind of kind of backpedaled and, and walked tried it back. to say, yeah. yeah, walked it back, said, you know, he, he's going to, you know, Kyle's going to get a chance to compete with Blaine, but I tend to believe Clyde that Blaine's the number two guy and it's just not really realistic as long as Brady and Blaine Gabbard are healthy for, for Kyle to expect any any significant action in 2022. And there's no question that if, you know, if you're Kyle Trask, on the one hand, you know, yeah, the goat is back, right? And it's not your show yet, and you don't have a chance to compete. Look, if Tom Brady stays unretired, he is competing. He's competing with Blaine Gabbard. I don't think he wins the job, but he at least gets that chance in training camp. And they were going to give him that chance. And they had said that at the Combine back when Bruce Arians was still head coach. That 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 was the plan, so there's no question that you know that's off the board now. Um, but he would have gotten that opportunity. He also would have potentially been facing the same gauntlet of four teams that Tom Brady's going to play this year. You know, I mean that right. is not an easy schedule. So you know I, what I think would have happened is Gabbert would have started those four games, and whether they go one and three or zero oh and four, at some point they would have turned to Kyle Trask who then would have played a number of games until he stunk, and then he would have gone back to Gabbert and then finished up the season. with. I've lived this uh, many, yeah. <laughs> many times. Okay, I know how it goes. I know what 5-12, and 5-11 used to be, but now 5-12 and 12 looks like. Um, but here's the thing, and there's no denying this. You mentioned Derek King, University of Miami quarterback, right? Uh, yeah. Undrafted free agent by the Patriots. You know where he is now? On the couch, okay? Yeah. Derek King is not playing in the NFL right now. The Patriots cut him, uh, and that's because he's not a quarterback. He's an athlete that was playing quarterback, but he is not that guy that can sit in the pocket and deliver the ball the way Mac Jones and the, the, the way they want it done in New England. So he's always – Cal Trask has always played the long game and won. You know, yep. And when they drafted him, they told him this. They, didn't, they were hopeful that Brady would play three years, and, of course, he retired, and, and now we know he is playing three years. But there was no guarantees when they drafted him that, that Kyle Trask would see the field for at least two seasons. And, and that's what they were kind of expecting, you know? The, the problem is, is that Clyde is too darn honest, and I know he got, in fact, you know, he got a lot of grief when he went back upstairs after he talked to us about Kyle Trask. Like, wow, you really killed Kyle Trask. And, and any football, listen, football, you know, if, if whether the youth level or whatever, what you want guys to believe is that they're competing. You want competition. You don't want a guy to just say, oh, I got no chance to win this position because what do you do? You push everybody else. And so, yeah, in as much as he's out there, he's going to get a chance. But they don't know what they got in Kyle Trask. And now they probably won't know for another year. And, you know, how he handles that, um, you know, remains to be seen. But um, it's an interesting dynamic. And I know I think because we're in the state of Florida and he's a Florida Gator, there's a lot more attention on Kyle Trask than there would be for any Tom Brady number three quarterback. Let's just put it that way. Uh, nobody would care in New England who the number three is. 
And, you. and, you know, you talk about no guarantees. It also works the other way. The other way, Rick, uh, you know, let's say we get through this year and it, it plays out like last season and Kyle doesn't see the field. You mm-hmm. know, Brady, however deep the Bucks go, Brady decides to finally retire or move on. Yep. And who's to say, you know, in a much better quarterback class in 2023? They may draft they, one. Yeah, They may draft one. And that where does that leave Kyle Trask entering his third year in the NFL with, with no film? You know, right. I, I, in some ways, you know, that scenario you laid out where Brady doesn't return and it's kind of a musical quarterback chairs with Gabbert and Trask. Mm-hmm, well, at least mm-hmm. Kyle would have had a chance to put something on film. And, True. you know, in this scenario, yes, he's learning from the GOAT. He's absorbing – the offense, he's, he's learning all the intricacies of the NFL, but he's not putting anything on tape. And, you know, that's that's not a great position to be in going into to year three when the clock is constantly ticking. So Well, it's it's not, but I would I would I would say this because I've seen it work the other way. If you play too soon, right? Yeah. Then you can get exposed the other way, right? Like that's it, true. Like that's Very the thing true. about thing about playing is you get exposed either way, exposed well or exposed poorly. And right. if Kyle Trask I don't think there's a, a, a universe where Kyle Trask, whether he plays or not this year, I don't think there's a universe where he won't be a better quarterback in year three than he is at the start of this of this training camp. I think he will get better. I think he will learn more about football. Uh, if he continues to work like I think he will, his body will get better. Um, he'll get more velocity. Whatever it is he has to do, he'll he'll know more about, about the game and about this offense than he will – than he would have if he was forced to play against Dallas, you know, on September 11th. It's just there, there's no way he would have been as prepared for that as he will be a year from now. And, yeah, do you want to play? Sure. But I've also seen guys go out there, and guess what? If he went out there and they didn't have Tom Brady and he stunk it up, they'd be looking to draft a new quarterback in the first round next season. And then you are done. Now there's tape, and it's not good tape. It's bad tape. One thing you'd say about – um you can say about him is when he does play Ryan Jensen will be his center, right? Yeah. Carl Carlton Davis will be playing corner uh, for them. Uh, Chris Godwin will be a wide receiver for him. All those guys are back for one reason, Tom Brady. Yeah. Tom Brady came back and their, their contracts go beyond Brady's, which ends after this season. So he's going to be with a much better football team uh, as a result of Brady coming back than he would have been had he not. In my opinion, that's a great so, point. Valid point. You know, no doubt. We'll see. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Let's uh, let's shift gears just a little bit because I know uh, we haven't had a chance to talk to you uh, since USF made some news. And look, uh, Jeff Scott called you about this, uh, the coach at USF. This is his third year. The quarterback portal is always alive and well. And I think they were looking forward to you know going moving ahead with McLean at quarterback. But then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I guess, or out of the transfer portal. Baylor's quarterback Gary Bohannon shows up and says, I want to go to USF. First of all, how surprising is it that a guy that wins the Big 12 wants to go to USF? 
it, it, it's kind of a stunner. It's not something that, that you would expect in the conventional landscape of college football, but it happened. And, and the only thing I can say is Gary Bohannon is an older guy. He's a mature guy. He'll have two years of eligibility remaining because of, of the, the COVID year. But he was looking beyond, you know, what can program X do for me in 2022? I mean, we yeah. live in a, a new era of, of college football. It's all about NIL. And for a lot of players, it's about getting yours. Yeah. Gary Bohannon, who was the starting quarterback for nearly all of last season for Baylor, which won the Big 12 title. He could have gone to some other places. Uh, Oklahoma, he received overtures from Oklahoma. Georgia sure. Tech was interested in him. I think he actually made a visit to Missouri. Um, and the NIL opportunities could have been a lot better there for him. And he told me, I spoke to Gary, he said it, it, it wasn't about that. It was mm. about chasing your passion and finding a program where the coaches matched your passion. And wow. he said he found that in Jeff Scott and Travis Trickett, the new USF offensive coordinator. Yeah. Um, he just said he, he really liked their philosophies. He liked the fact that they're both kind of grounded family guys. And most of all, he liked their passion. And, you know, if nothing else, what USF offers is a chance for a guy to come in and make their mark and, for lack of a better term, kind of immortalize themselves. If Gary Bohannon comes in here and leads them to a bowl game or eight or nine wins and just turns the program on its head, he could be immortalized. And he really hits immortality if somehow he can lead them to an American Athletic Conference championship because USF has never won a conference title in any league that they've been in. So I think Gary Bohannon just saw some opportunities to do some unprecedented things. And um, obviously he found found an opportunity to, you know, to come in and compete for the starting job. You know, I, I know this for a fact, Rick, after the USF spring game, you know, Timmy mm -hmm. McLean, who was yeah. the left-handed guy, kind of a, a dual threat who did some really good things last year, but also, you know, went into some funks as any, as any young quarterback would. He probably played the best of the spring and the most consistently didn't really didn't really pop anybody's eyes with that spring performance. I know the USF coaches did not look at that spring game tape and say, Oh gosh, we got to go get a quarterback, but they, they were not going to deny a chance to get better. And when Gary Bohannon did not win the starting job, did not win his starting job back in Baylor after the spring, he entered the portal. He had a talk with the coaches, Dave Aranda is now the coach at Baylor and, they both mutually agreed that it's pro probably in his best interest to move on. So he went into the portal. And when Jeff Scott saw that, well, he hmm. is not going to turn down a chance to make USF better. I always think of Willie Taggart in these situations. Oh, and yeah. He told us, and he always told his players, he said, we are recruiting guys to come in and take your jobs. And mm -hmm. that's a universal recruiting philosophy, right? So. Mm -hmm. They, they saw a chance to, to get a guy who had performed at a high level in a Power 5 conference, and they, they seized that opportunity. They went all in on Gary Bohannon, and they got him, and it was a coup. It was an 11th-hour recruiting coup for USF, and, it, and it, I mean, it quite possibly could alter the trajectory of the program. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's the whole thing, right? Because Jeff Scott's entering his third year has shown almost no success, and, it, right. and, and as much as McLean 
maybe they weren't unhappy with him. He's athletic. Uh, he's growing. Uh, you would expect him to be better this year. And, and as we do this podcast, at least I think he's still a member of USF. I don't know if he's left in the portal or, or what's going to happen to him. But at the end of the day, I don't care what level you're talking about. That quarterback position is it. Right. And, and everything yeah. emanates and around from him. And so good on Jeff Scott. I mean, listen, we heard about his ability to recruit. He did it at Clemson. He took a lot of kids from this area to Clemson, guys we can name, Artavia Scott and others. So here's a quarterback. It's sort of pennies from heaven. You couldn't match up a, a bigger need really for Jeff Scott in this season of, you know, which which direction are we really headed with this head coach than to have this guy show up? And what kind of a quarterback is he getting? I mean, what you know, I, 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 I've seen some of his tape. Um, you know, it's not like he threw for 5,000 yards now, um, but he's a winner. And, you know, it, it, he, he, to do it at Baylor and win the Big 12 is not a small is not a small feat. I don't care who's around. He's got better players there than he's going to have at USF. But that position has a way of elevating everybody around you. No doubt. And, and Bohannon, he, he's not the dual threat that Timmy McLean is. He probably can't move quite as well outside the pocket as, as McLean, but he can run. Uh, yeah. He threw for 2,200 yards last mm-hmm. season, 18 touchdowns. I, again, he started most every game. He had a little hamstring issue late in the year and did not play in the Big 12 title game against Oklahoma State, but came back and played in the Sugar Bowl against Ole Miss. Probably shouldn't have played in that game. Far from yeah. 100%, but uh, you know, I think he only totaled 61 yards, but he, he, he got a couple of touchdowns, and they beat Ole Miss in the Sugar Bowl. So, you know, you got a guy who obviously there's some heart there and some, yeah. you know, some desire, you know, to, to win for the team. It's not all about the individuals because he, he came back probably before he should have, and I think that probably impressed Jeff Scott. And, yeah. and, and look, um, in, in a perfect world, I am certain Jeff Scott would like to take a page out of the Dabo Sweeney book and just recruit and develop, you know, up until recently, that's how Dabo built his program. You recruit your guys and you develop them. He did not, he did, Clemson was not built on transfers at all. Now in the, in the portal era in the last couple of years, that has changed a little bit, but when they were winning those national titles, it was with their guys. And I know that's what Jeff Scott initially wanted to do. But we're in a new era of college athletics. He's going mm. into year three. He's won three games his first two years. Desperate situations call for desperate measures. And he, out of necessity, he has been required to tap into that portal. And he's done it very well. They've gotten a number of prominent transfers in over the last couple of years, including this past winter. They had kind of a bonanza. And yeah. Gary Bohannon is kind of like the the cherry on the whipped cream, if you will. This is, mm-hmm. this is kind of the, you know, the star on top of the tree. And um, it, it really could, as much work as Jeff Scott and his staff has done in the portal, you could see a quick turnaround. Uh, you know, I would, I would go so far as to say, you know, conceivably it could be like between year two and three of, of the Taggart era. They were four and eight, miserable in 2014. And then, you know, the next year, after about four games, he turns the keys over to Quentin Flowers, lets Quentin Flowers play the way he's used to playing, kind of unshackles him, and the rest is history. And they won like 18 of the next 20 games. You know, mm-hmm. I think it, it is a turnaround like that possible. Yeah, I think it's conceivable. I'm not saying it will happen, but they have done that kind of work in the portal 
to where, you know, that's that's a viable possibility. Now, you could see a real turnaround in year three and it's got to turn around to a degree or otherwise there won't be a year four. Yeah, that's for sure. A big year for Jeff Scott and USF. He is Joey Knight. You can read, of course, all the Bucks coverage uh, that we do, as well as USF stories that he's written about uh, Bohannon and others in the Tampa Bay Times on TampaBay.com. Thanks, Joey. I'll join you out there next week at OTAs, buddy. Yes, sir. Look forward to it. See ya. All right, we got the big game, two from Sunrise, Florida. It's the Lightning against the Florida Panthers. Can the Lightning go up 2-0? And I think, for my money, pretty much put away this series because that would mean that Florida would have to win four of the next five. That would be a difficult task for anybody. So we'll check in on that. And the Rays are off. They uh, head to Baltimore, begin that series up there on would be, what, Friday uh, for the weekend series. So check us out. We'll be back here with your mailbag tomorrow. For Steve Burstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. 